0: Welcome to Episode 152 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe & Johnson uh, LLP. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And I'm joined today by an old friend uh, and longtime collaborator, Paul Rosenzweig, the founder of Red Branch Consulting and formerly uh, uh, my deputy at the Department of Homeland Security Policy uh, office, uh, welcome, Paul.
1: Thanks for having me, Stuart. It's always great to join you.
0: It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, we're going to get you on more often. I, I guarantee it. Uh, okay. And from Steptoe. Uh, we've got uh, Stephanie Roy, who's a partner in our telecom practice, uh, Maury Shank, uh who is associated with our London office and has about six other jobs, uh, uh, all of which make him qualified to talk about technology and investment in Europe, uh, uh, by Jennifer Quinn Barabinoff, uh, a skilled litigator and the chair of our class action practice here at Steptoe, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS, holding the record for returning to Steptoe out of practice law more times than any other lawyer. Why don't we jump right in and I'm going to ask Stephanie to explain what is happening at the FCC with all of their regs because the cyber security rules, um, uh, particularly for ISPs, apparently were about to take effect uh, in early March and now aren't going to. How come? Uh,
2: that's right, Stuart. Uh, in the war against the Privacy rules passed in December just last year under then-Chairman Wheeler. The FCC has, when faced with the choice between waiting for the ax to drop uh, for a Congressional Review uh, Act action against the rules, which uh, there's been some talk about. This
0: is where Congress says, no way, no how, no, <laughs> and, uh, That's no right. time forever. You can't forever. ever do it again. Right.
2: That's right. Uh, they seem to have opted for the death by a thousand cuts, or at least are moving along that path. Uh They The security requirements, which are more or less uh, requirements to have reasonable security measures in place to protect customer proprietary network information, customer-sensitive data, customer communications over the network, uh, were set to take effect March 2nd. Uh, Now Chairman Ajit Pai of the FCC has said, if the commissioners don't vote by March 2nd to stay those rules pending resolution of a petition for reconsideration that's currently sitting with the agency, that he will have the Bureau a move to stay the rules as a Bureau action, uh, which is a bit in tension with his position about uh, exercise of delegated authority under then-Chairman Wheeler's reign for the last four years, but nevertheless, he's uh, pretty intent that these rules will not go into effect.
0: So I would have thought, you know, the... the the executive order, and and Paul, I know you've looked at the drafts, executive orders that have been kicking around on cybersecurity included a whole provision on how uh, the Commerce Department ought to get on top of communications providers to deal with security against DDoS attacks. Uh, um, and, And that strikes me as something where you would not want the FCC and Congress to nuke the whole regulatory authority for cybersecurity rules involving ISPs, uh, especially if, if in 60 days um, the administration is supposed to come up a, with an anti-DDoS security rule.
2: Well, it's going to leave ISPs and their users in a bit of an odd place because the FTC Act precludes the FTC regulation of common carriers. Right. Well, that was, that, that, that was never a big threat anyway. No, but but at the same time, if, if you may recall, uh, the FTC did bring a suit last year against AT&T for misrepresentation right. of, and they, of they, their they, services. They, they, they lost. And the lost, even with respect to their behavior before they were. Classified as a common carrier for the ISP services.
0: so there won't be any privacy rules no uh, not it, of
2: they... any measure for ISP services and the FTC cannot uh, take any action to pursue them and to uh, it's unlikely that this FTC will take further action to put in place other privacy rules at least as far as we can see because the agenda is pretty full. And this is just, this is actually the second swipe the current uh, FCC has taken at um, the privacy rules that were put in place in December. Uh, Earlier this month, they expanded the small business exemption uh, for the transparency requirements, which is basically disclosures to subscribers about the service and about the costs above the line, below the line fees, from 100,000 subscribers to 250,000 subscribers. And did that over the vociferous dissent of the remaining Democratic Commissioner mm-hmm. uh Commissioner Mignon Clyburn, on the uh in the agency. And uh this coming June breach notification requirements are slated to come into effect. I think we can anticipate if the petitions for a recon have not yet been voted on by then that those two will be stayed. And at the end of the year, the most um vociferously uh Objected to provisions, actually, of the privacy rules would come into place uh, unless stayed or overturned, which are the opt-in requirements. That is, if they want to use the so customer's they, information or share the customer's information outside the individual company, they will have to have the customer's affirmative opt-in to that sharing.
0: Is there, um, is there any way that Congress can nuke the privacy stuff but not the security stuff? Because we're going to want that security authority, I think.
2: I. I you know, I haven't looked into the minutiae of the Congressional Review Act. I don't see any...
0: They can just... They can, they I don't can know say if they this, can this r- this knock off no provisions, but not in right their entirety. Okay. Right. That's a good question, though. All right. Well, good. Well, but, fine. you know, well,
2: I, it maybe has a point right now, because... There, we only have three days left in counting.
0: Well, we're going to find out. Uh, so, Maury, um, uh, there's new okay. legislation coming through uh, uh, that uh, uh, in Europe uh, that uh, takes a traditional European stance toward First Amendment rights, which is, do we really need them? Uh, at least that's how I read it. Uh, uh, can you fill us in?
3: Yeah, so it's a directive on combating terrorism, which has just been adopted by the European Parliament, and we'll take effect um, when it's published. And 18 months after that, EU member states will have to adopt various terror, anti-terrorist offenses, uh, criminalizing terrorist acts, et cetera. The directive, though, also includes a provision that says member states can restrict the publication uh, on the Internet and uh, provide for blocking of Internet websites that contain content-provoking terrorism. So, so, this, so is, is this, it's is, basically an exception from...
0: Go ahead. Is is this basically aimed at Facebook and Twitter and uh, uh, other uh, services that have become platforms for uh, ISIL advocacy?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's to allow blocking of sites on Facebook or wherever. I mean, Twitter is harder because Twitter is just individual tweets, but uh, blocking of sites that are recruiting for ISIL and similar groups.
0: Well, once again, Europe rises to the defense of the uh, uh, First Amendment, and I predict that this will become an opportunity to uh, bash American companies that uh, uh, introduce technology to Europe because, well, why not, right?
3: Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I think this is a tough one, you know. I mean, if it's terrorist recruiting content um, – Some people think that there should be limits on that. I personally think there are other ways of going after terrorism, and uh, it would be against the First Amendment in the U.S., but you're right. Europe takes a different perspective.
0: Well, it will be interesting because uh, I suspect U.S. law enforcement will be following along behind uh, uh, the Europeans and letting the Europeans apply the pressure and then uh, finding Uh, First Amendment acceptable ways to to, um, exploit uh, the openings that Europe has created. Uh, um, So I I don't want to go too far without actually talking about some some real American litigation-type law. Uh, And, uh, Jennifer, uh, uh, there's a new standing case out of Michigan, if I remember right, uh, uh, saying that uh, – Basically, you don't need any any damages to sue under uh, Michigan's uh, uh, privacy law. Is that is that a fair summary?
4: Yeah more or less I mean the the case involved uh Time Magazine's alleged disclosure of uh consumers reading personal reading information uh to data mining companies they actually argued that the plaintiff benefited from this disclosure uh but the district court held uh, rejected a Spokio challenge uh to dismiss the case for lack of standing mm-hmm. holding uh consistent with actually kind of a growing line of courts that uh in some of these circumstances uh, a disclosure isn't can't Legitimately be characterized as the kind of technical violation that the Supreme Court suggested in Spokio might uh, be able to pass by without triggering a flood right. of lawsuits. Um, but here they held that the disclosure alone was sufficient to support standing.
0: Which I no, I, I I'm not a, not a big enthusiast for plaintiffs' cases, but I've always thought that if. If the legislature says this is a violation and you can sue for it, that ought to be kind of the end of the analysis, uh, I, especially in a context like this where you know they could legitimately say, I, "I think this is wrong," but they could say, "Having my reading habits disclosed is the harm itself."
4: Well, that's the that's the debate, and you know, as defendants, we continue to make these challenges <laughs> where um, where you know they seem like they may have some uh, chance of dis- success. Um, it seems like uh, defendants are having better success using Spokio challenges in cases involving um, sort of uh, unauthorized retention of information. So, for example, under some of the cable statutes, right. Privacy acts, uh, statutes and such, where there are limits on your ability to retain the information, um, it's a little different. The disclosures Which makes are being sense. You treated. You kind of say, as, what's
0: the harm? You gave it to them. They, they stored it. Uh, you had no objection, and they just kept, kept storing it. It's sort of hard to say, oh, yes, I'm, I've, I've suffered harm worse than physical attack uh, because they kept it six right. months Right. Well, the
4: later. idea would be that the, the retention creates a risk, right? That's the plaintiff's yeah. perspective. <laughs> the longer you have it, the greater the risk of uh, disclosure and the disclosure. Is what um, you know what seem, where they seem to be making subtraction, unfortunately. So the um, banks, the banks
0: are becoming increasingly the plaintiffs in these cases. I I I I find that fascinating because I I just I don't I can't imagine a ba- the bank lawyers I grew up with ever being plaintiffs lawyers.
4: Right, and that's a good segue into my other notable uh, event of the past week or so, which is that. Arby's uh, disclosed that it has had uh, a breach as a result of malware that made its way onto its system for a period of about three months. Um, And this past week, they've been hit with three putative class actions brought not by consumers, but the ones that I'm interested in are the ones that are brought by the issuing banks. That are going to sue to—they're suing to recoup the cost of replacement cards and which and is running around
0: fifty bucks a head, I think.
4: Well, the thing that's sort of interesting about it is if you think back to the Target uh, lawsuit, which was really one of the first places, if not the first place, where this kind of strategy was used by the issuers. Uh, you know, the consumer class action was resolved for ten million bucks, and the resolving the claims of the issuers took about ten times that amount of money. So it just shows that really the focus. Um, In terms of the risk, um, the risk is really centered on these really commercial exposures.
0: Right. And the banks have decided, um, why take a chance? We'll we'll reissue cards, um, and then we'll sue for the cost of reissuing the cards. Uh, um, And it looks like they're starting to get it. Uh, uh, I have to say, as a consumer, I'm not sure that's a favor to me, because all those recurring charges that are on one card, just, ball to the, to the ground. I get charged, uh, uh, for having failed to pay or I lose service. Uh, I, and meanwhile, they're telling me that this is great. You're more secure now.
4: Right. Well, and I mean, you know, it seems like eventually some of these, uh, you know, still processing the cost of these lawsuits and stuff. I assume will eventually be passed on to the consumer in some form or another by the issuers. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, fair enough. Uh, they, 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 if they don't get it, get it from the uh, uh, the merchants. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, uh, all right. Well, that is uh, that is fascinating, and. Uh, um, eh, Probably the most unexpected way in which privacy is being protected today uh, is uh, big banks bringing class actions against uh, big merchants. Uh, um, Okay, Uh, Maury, uh, uh, the surveillance scandal of the week comes from Germany uh, uh, and it involves a talking doll that has now been categorized as... uh, um, uh, something that it's so unlawful that it has to be destroyed on site. Practically, is this right?
3: Well, it's a doll called My Friend Kayla, and it uh, can talk to your child and record some of the conversations. send them back to the manufacturer for reasons that are a little bit unclear. And the German uh, telecoms regulator Bundesnetzagentur has said that uh, that's an illegal surveillance device under German telecommunications law because you can listen in on conversations. And, yes, it's completely illegal in Germany. I don't know that you have to uh, burn it on site, but you're definitely not allowed to sell it.
0: So it's it's also pretty consensual, uh, I mean, uh, at least up on the part of the parents. They know what they're buying because I'm sure it's advertised uh, uh, that way. Um, Uh, What makes it a surveillance device that is, makes it different from like a a telephone, right? Which you also know the person on the other end is listening to your conversation because, you know, you put it on squig, on squawk.
3: Well, the details are a little bit sparse, but it sounds like the doll listens in on your child and processes that information for various purposes that are a little bit unclear. It sends conversations back to the manufacturer. maybe for marketing purposes, maybe for delivering of some AI-based service regarding the child. It's a little unknown. And so I think it's the surreptitious nature of the listening in, you know, in Germany where we've got a history of Stasi overhearing conversations. That there is a particular and, you know, wide discretion to block this kind of device.
0: Yeah, I would know there's all kinds of jokes you can imagine making about it. Uh, you know, tell me your secrets, tell me your parents secrets. Uh, uh, uh that would be, it would make the doll, uh, creepy. I, my guess is, uh, uh, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that this is a U.S. manufactured product. Uh, um, the, uh, that may account for the, uh, enthusiasm of the response I thought they I, I actually saw something that said uh, this is an unlawful device to um, possess so that you actually are required uh, by law to destroy it um, uh, in, in that does strike me as a bit of an overreaction
3: well I, I, I think that means it's uh, I, I on that um, interpretation, I think it is an illegal surveillance device. In the U.S., and Stephanie may know this better than I do, but I think you can buy or you can go into these spy shops and buy a lot more stuff where you can just listen in on people. In Germany, you're not allowed to do that, particularly where it's surreptitish and you don't know that the device is overhearing you, even though it's been so widely publicized. And, yep, I think they've taken an approach that would be unfamiliar to us in the U.S.
2: Yeah, just to reassure our listeners, there are restrictions on trap and trace devices in the United States.
0: Yeah, and and and, uh, and, and wiretapping. Uh, yes. uh, but
2: that's uh, purely on communication networks, so it's questionable whether or not the same uh, scenario would play here.
0: Uh, well, certainly, if you if, if it's consensual, then it's it's over. If you say I, I want this doll to overhear me, I,
2: I certainly know that they market quite a few. Uh, devices to spy on nannies.
0: Yes, they do. They do indeed. <laughs> so uh,
2: yeah, I would think that something would have happened along those lines here, but, uh, you know, I, I haven't been asked to represent anyone on that yet.
3: Yeah. Uh, well. And, and I think that's the point. Is the point here, Stuart that this doll can listen in and use the information for purposes that you don't know about.
0: S- yes. Um, now, I have uh, an echo in my house uh, so that I can say, "Alexa, play vocal jazz and and she'll say, "I don't know what that is, but if you say play jazz vocals, she will she will play them for you. Uh, she's listening all the time uh, and uh, it will be interesting whether the Germans insist that uh, she be destroyed as well uh, it, it, it is less common that her uh, she sends stuff back to the cloud and she sends only small bits of the conversation but i think that uh, there's a pretty good argument that the germans ought to be uh, uh landfilling their uh, uh their inner, their uh, amazon echoes as well
3: i thought about the same thing when i was looking into this and to be honest i don't understand the distinction but um Amazon is presumably studying this decision pretty carefully.
0: So uh, let me let me ask Paul to jump in because uh, Amazon has filed a, uh, a brief in response to a uh, warrant seeking the contents of a uh, uh of uh, alexa searches or commands issued by a suspect uh, um, and i i was pretty unpersuaded by uh, uh amazon's uh, objection to that uh, uh to that order and i wondered if you had a chance to take a look at that
1: I did, and like you, I was deeply unpersuaded by the idea that the First Amendment protects evidence of criminality. Um, that's been kind of wildly rejected uh, in many other contexts, uh, uh, conspiracy contexts, undercover investigation contexts in the kinetic world, in the physical world. Um, I cannot imagine that there is a First Amendment protection uh, for asking Alexa to help you figure out how to build a bomb, yeah. or find child pornography, or ma- launder money, um, you know the other things might be right. I mean, I, I sort of buy the idea that my search preferences do reveal something about me, and that there's a there's a free speech, privacy, Fourth Amendment. Miasma of privacy there that has some basis, but not against a, a valid criminal search warrant. Yeah, th- so they,
0: they they the the argument they make, I, and they make two arg- first amendment arguments, both of them unpersuasive. Uh, one is this is like Ken Starr and actually Paul Rosenzweig uh, trying to get the um, uh, uh, the book purchase records of uh, a, um, uh, of uh, who was it, that uh, uh, Monica Lewinsky uh, apparently was buying sappy books yep. for President Clinton, uh, and they wanted proof that she had bought sappy books for them, and uh, uh, the court said, wait a minute, you're going to try to uh, get the uh, reading habits of someone, that's First Amendment protected. You need a specially strong reason to get access to that. And I, Amazon's argument is well, that's what you do when you talk to Alexa. I've never ordered a book in my life off Alexa, and I'm willing to bet that nobody, uh, uh, that probably less than 1% of the queries are order me this book. Uh, I, Amazon's basically saying we shouldn't have to produce our order records because First Amendment, uh, which kind of, you know, uh, if this were 1997, Amazon was a bookstore, that's fine. But today, this is, this would be like Walmart saying, you want our uh, the purchase records of people who came to visit us. Uh, we sold six books last year, and so we refused to provide it because of the First Amendment.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's exactly right. Um, you know, especially, uh, if you're, if you restrict the, the request to books ordered about how to avoid criminality, how to be, <laughs> yes, know, how to avoid criminal prosecution, right?
0: Yep. And then their, their other right. argument, I, I, I find particularly charming, uh, is they say, well, we have a First Amendment right and Alexa is talking to people, so she, what she says has to be First Amendment protected. Uh, um, I don't know how much First Amendment protection there is in I Don't Understand You, uh, but uh, uh, that, uh, I, I, and, and uh, frankly, who cares what uh, what she says? That's not really all that relevant. Uh, uh, and, and, but the idea of giving... Alexa uh, First Amendment rights. I mean, Tim Cook must be really jealous because I'm sure he wanted to argue first that Siri had First Amendment rights. Uh,
4: uh, and
1: well, yeah, actually, I was going to say, think of all the liberals who objected to corporations getting First Amendment rights in terms of uh uh, contributions to campaign finance—they must be rolling in their graves right
0: now. Oh yes, of course. Uh, it's, uh, the, uh, if they had only uh, created an artificial intelligence to write the checks, uh, 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 this would be a cause celebre among liberals. Uh, yep, great idea. Uh, all right. Um, one other legal uh, uh, case that I thought was worth talking about, because again, I was kind of unpersuaded. Maybe you're more persuaded. Was this uh, Northern District of Illinois uh, revolt? the magistrate's uh, um, decision that says uh, we're not going to let law enforcement insist that everybody who is in a, a house suspected of uh, of marketing child pornography, uh, the, uh, we're not going to let the police require everybody who's there to put their fingers and thumbs on any of the iPhones uh, or other phones that are picked up there uh, in order to get access to the phones. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, obviously what law enforcement is doing here is responding to uh, Apple's uh, deeply uncooperative approach to providing access to their phones. There's a very limited period of time when you can get in uh, with a, a fingerprint. And if you arrest everybody and ship them off to uh, 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 to jail and try to get them to open up the iPhones, by the time the iPhones show up there, uh, you might have missed the window. So the idea is to get a Court order that says you can search the premises, you can arrest the people or search the people that you find there, and you can make them uh, add um, uh, their phone, uh, their fingerprints to the phone in order to open it up and search the phone. Uh, uh, and uh, this revolting magistrate said, "No, no, no. There's like fourth and fifth and." Uh, First Amendment issues here and I'm not going to let you include that in the search, or, search warrant uh, which sort of leaves law enforcement with sort of even fewer um, uh, remedies than it had before. Uh, did you get a chance to look at that? It's a, it was a long opinion but it didn't get you know uh, yeah, more persuasive.
1: Long and turgid. <laughs> long and turgid. Um, I, 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 I was completely unpersuaded by the Fifth Amendment idea uh, that there's something inappropriate in asking people to provide a fingerprint.
4: Yeah. Right? He, he,
1: uh, a... If we actually buy that, yeah. we're going to destroy all of our CSI. Uh, everything that CSI does is based upon the involuntary, uh, the ability to involuntarily compel uh, physical characteristics, standing in lineup, voice exemplars, blood, DNA. Yeah. Fingerprints, you name it. So so that has to be wrong.
0: And, and, right? and he, he, the way that he the, must the, 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 the way this magistrate, who's David Weisman, uh, did it is he talked and talked and talked and talked and set and cited all the right law. And then at the end, he just said, and so this is really the equivalent of testifying uh without any persuasive analysis right. of why this was the equivalent of testifying. And then once he said it's testimony, he could say it's first. It's Fifth Amendment protected.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, so it was ipsy-dixit. Um, I was a little more interested in the Fourth Amendment analysis in part because we don't have the underlying application and, uh, and we don't, and all we have is the opinion. So one, the most charitable way to read the opinion is that the police said, we don't even know that there are iPhone people, iPhones there. We don't know if any of those iPhones have this pornography and we don't know if any of the owners of the iPhones are also physically present. So the one argument I can make for this was that it seems to possibly be a a lack of particularity objection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know Um, you're, you're, there there might be some phones there. They might be, they might have pornography and their owners might be in the place. Um, If that's it, then it's a meaningless uh, argument about a specific case. If I saw the application and said no, we you know that there are three people there. Each of them owns an iPhone, and one of the three has the um, has porn on it, pity porn. Then, then this guy's out to lunch again.
0: It's and it will be reversed it, it, it's it's a it's a funny opinion you know it's always risky to make fun of people for being technologically unsophisticated if you're not really technologically sophisticated and i thought this this uh opinion falls into that he mocks the opinion for talking about blackberries uh uh, uh and for not realizing that there are uh other operating systems besides uh, uh apples and then he cites Microsoft uh, and its operating system as having a, a dominant share, which is certainly not true of devices uh, uh, and even if he had meant Android, which he clearly did not uh, there's plenty of Android devices that require fingerprints as well so i I think his effort to say uh, and he was he properly called out the government for using a, a form from nineteen you know ninety nine uh, uh, but nonetheless uh, uh, there is a high likelihood that somebody in that uh uh house has a phone that unlocks with a fingerprint because practically all of them do these days uh uh yeah his his fourth amendment argument was kind of you could be an innocent person maybe and you shouldn't be searched and well if you're searched you 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 should only be searched uh uh, to make sure you 're safe and that uh, uh, taking your finger and putting it on the uh, uh, phone is an additional seizure and if these people might be completely innocent it it, it wasn 't fully persuasive because I think you could make the same argument just no. as there's a, there's a reason to to search people immediately for weapons there 's a reason to search them immediately for their thumbprint because that you know getting it later won't won't help you. All yeah, right. Uh, I, I think that's probably right. So I know you, you read and I, you, you inspired me or guilted me into reading the GSA IG report on 18F. Uh, and uh, since I didn't even know what 18F was when you told me you wanted to talk about that, I'm going to let you explain what 18F is and why 18F is in such hot water with the uh, uh, Inspector General for the General Services Administrator.
1: Uh, well 18f is in trouble with GSA because GSA is old school and 18f is new school that's the that's the short answer
2: so um, 18,
1: 18F, 18f which is the well 18f which is the street address for GSA by the way which is how they got their name is a digital consultancy inside GSA it was started under the Obama administration and the idea was to bring some of the project management techniques of silicon valley um, to uh, Washington. It was motivated mostly by the, the massive failure at healthcare.gov, uh, which was built the old-fashioned way. They they spent a year thinking about what they wanted, they spent a year writing the code, and then nothing, and then they turned it all on at once. 18F and Silicon Valley, we try out new features one at a time, We and if they don't work, we take them out, and we put, them, put a new one in, so we'll add a new button Will give you version 2.1.1 of a of an operating system. Will ha- add a response functionality. Whatever it is that is is new and different. And uh, 18F got in trouble because it doesn't check the boxes on all the FISMA security um, requirements that GSA is enamored of. And anybody who knows this area knows that FISMA is uh, about checking boxes. It's not yeah. about. Uh, actual security and um, the relationship between it and actual security is accidental at best, um, but the GSAIG can't do actual uh, audits because he doesn't have the competence. Congress doesn't have the understanding, so they're going to go after 18F for not being old school, not uh, working like Washington is supposed to work. And instead, being effective and Silicon Valley-ish in its approach, yeah, That's it's a short answer.
4: Yeah, I,
0: I, it, it was an interesting report. It was, it was, uh, you know, the IG and high dudgeon. Uh, as, as it's sort of hard to write an IG report without being in high dudgeon. But the, they were just shocked that 18F didn't observe all of the processes and get all the approvals. Uh, and or even if they were approved, they didn't have a signature to show that they had been approved. Uh, it was. uh it was very much a um, uh, uh, an old school. Um, we found a scandal here. No one is following procedures. And and, and like you, I, I suspect that 18F rather gloried in its failure to follow all these procedures because they were smarter than and faster than uh, the people that they were supposed to getting approvals from. So they just skipped that step.
1: I mean, look, the way that Silicon Valley operates is always historically weak on documentation. Uh, that's, that's the big problem with trotting out new features kind of, uh, in rapid succession is documentation catches up. Washington is about documentation and only about documentation, not about effectiveness. Doesn't matter if your plane flies, so long as the, you know, the design has been approved with 63 signatures, you're, you're You're in good shape because Congress can't come after you in a, we live in a zero defect world and, and Silicon Valley is about try things. If they fail, try something else, right? You know, um, you aren't an entrepreneur unless six of your companies have failed and your seventh one has made a billion dollars.
0: Yep. And
1: so this was a way of, of schooling them, right?
0: So I, I agree with you, and and one of the hard questions here is what's the new administration going to do? It's going to be very tempting to say, "Oh, those idiots! They, you know, no wonder they got the DNC got hacked. They had all these these fools uh, doing stuff uh, uh, inside the government that uh, was we're going to get the GSA hacked." Uh, I, whereas I I suspect that there's a lot of problem on the uh, um, uh, IG side of the ledger, and maybe a lot of creativity on the 18f side but my guess is this thing is going to really uh, put a stick in the spokes of uh, uh, innovation uh, on uh, uh, how to procure and implement IT projects
1: I think that's exactly right the winners are going to be the very big uh, IT companies uh, that that can meet all of the compliance requirements and that takes six years uh, to do you and I both know for example, of the large company that I won't name because I don't want to be sued that spent eight years trying to build a new immigration uh, immigration adjudication system for USCIS with absolutely no success at all. 18F has moved that program forward substantially in the last three years. It isn't perfect yet, but we actually have functionality at CIS because we're doing something different now. It's a crying shame and the losers are going to be the American people who are going to continue to waste taxpayer money on, on old school systems.
0: So, um, let's move to what the new administration is doing. Uh, I, have you spent time with the draft cyber, the second, uh, leaked draft cyber executive order? That's now been out and on the street for a month and nothing more. No updates have leaked although i'm sure updates are ongoing uh and we keep being told yeah any minute uh, it'll come out or maybe any week uh, it'll come out um a, a so we we're looking at an old document but it gives us some sense of where the administration is thinking about going i thought it was actually a pretty good job uh, the last time i saw it
1: yeah i i thought version i thought version 1 which, which is now three months old, uh, was probably written by some intern who, <laughs> who took dictation and didn't know what they were saying. Uh, it was, it, it was, it was a clutch. I think version two, um, reflects, uh, the, uh, victory of cyber professionals, uh, for people who are looking for President Trump to be a transformative person. Um, this is not that president. Right. This is a president of, of continuity. Um, indeed, you know, change around some of the language and some of the emphasis, and, I mean, I hate to say this because it'll probably kill us, but this, this one could have been written as uh, as the next step in the Obama administration's evolution of cybersecurity Which in would, the federal government.
0: And the Obama uh, administration that, just, just was a continuation of the last few years of the Bush administration. There is enormous continuity here.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think, I, I mean, the draft here, I mean, the good news is things like uh, starting to treat the entire uh, secu- security of the entire federal government as a single enterprise um, instead of, you know, 97 different uh, uh, security systems, each of which is, is you know, only the collective of which is only as strong as its weakest link. It's a good thing that they're going to try and make cabinet secretaries own this and be responsible for breaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the great failures in the Obama administration was, you know, nobody gets sacked for for the constancy of, of problems. And that's in large part uh, something that we're trying to change here. I think that's a good change as well. You know, I thought the, the draft EO uh reflected the fact that some that people people we know like Tom Bosser and Kirsten Nielsen have gotten their arms around this and are starting to try and move it in a in a sensible forward leaning direction.
0: So that uh, I I, I agree with you. That executive order um, never had the problems. It looked like it had been pretty carefully vetted uh, uh, where some of the other orders had not been. Um, Those other orders cost uh, uh, General Flynn his job, at least uh, that was part of the disorganization that uh, led to his demise. Uh, The irony here is that if the... Homeland Security team uh, at the White House produced an order that isn't going to create the same kinds of problems. Uh, uh, Their reward apparently is that they're going to be folded under General McMaster, um, who has decided that um, uh, his contribution to uh, 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 providing leadership is a a turf war with the Homeland Security Council.
1: Certainly, that's what the public reports say. Um, you know, there's a real uh, dissonance in in analysis about whether Homeland Security is part of national security or is a separate and distinct field. Um, you and I, having um, come from DHS and perhaps having a greater sensitivity to the private sector implications of this, are, I think, in the, of the view that Homeland Security has a distinct flavor to it and is better treated Independently, I know I do. I maybe I should. Yeah, I speak to you I I lean reply. that
0: way. I it's 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 not that there's a, one clear answer here, but it strikes me as bad symbolism for the president first to say I'm going to have two. And then to turn around and say, uh, uh, I've decided to get rid of the Homeland Security Council. Uh, you know, uh, there's always a risk that, that somebody later is going to say, well, because of that, you didn't have anybody watching the, uh, uh the problem when, uh, uh, a terrorist plot was unfolding.
1: I think that's right. I, I do think that, that the reorg or the re-reorg is not a done deal yet. Um, so so it may not happen in the end but a large fraction of why Trump or or, or some people around Trump split the NSC in the first place into NSC and HSC under Trump was was to give Flynn less influence right <laughs> to make sure he didn't mess up stuff like this
0: yeah well, maybe that's now, it. I, I
1: mean I think that's the reality of it and and you know it, to the extent that you think that McMaster is a sensible replacement for Flynn and I certainly do having met the man you know, Probably even if they refold it back in, that's just going to give him some oversight and and responsibility. But he's a smart enough guy to know what he doesn't know, and one of the things he doesn't know is cyber very much, and he knows that. So I think that it portends a little bit more reporting requirements and a little bit more integration. Um, it but it probably does not portend the thing that we probably both most fear, which is a you know a a complete giving up of cybersecurity to to the military a, a DOD is is isation of the cybersecurity component which would have been <clears throat> i think a bad choice
0: uh, there wasn't you know there was a lot of talk of that and then almost none of it showed up in the executive order right uh, uh, the extent that there's you know more DOD there it's it's in an effort to create more Coordination between DHS and DOD, which God knows they need. Um, well, let me, let me, let me turn to two last DHS-y issues uh, involving uh, cyber law. Um, the designation of our electoral infrastructure as critical infrastructure by the Obama administration has spurred uh, you know a, a resolution I can hardly read it 's so uh, 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 uh chest poundingly uh uh independent from the National Association of Secretaries of state last heard from probably forty five years ago uh, saying we're shocked that you would designate uh electoral processes as critical infrastructure and uh uh we uh, uh, demand that you uh, rescind that uh, that designation i don't quite get it i mean there, there may be some i'm sure part of this was a sort of uh oh this is the obama administration uh, uh engaging in some sort of takeover of our elections uh um prior to installing military rule uh or taking over the elections and then canceling them or you know some fever dream from uh from the right uh and maybe now replaced by a fever dream on the left for all i know uh but uh uh, what's the actual impact of the designation, and does this uh, uh, National Association of Secretary of States resolution strike you as uh, uh, the same way it strikes me?
1: Absolutely. This is this comes from the same place as the three million in fake votes that uh, that uh, we're going to be investigating for the next several months. Uh, it, you know, it is uh, the product of uh, conspiracy theories gone wild that. With the designation comes authority to direct state secretary, secretaries of state uh, in how to conduct their business, and ultimately uh, the requirements that they uh, listen to the federal government about things unrelated to cybersecurity, like voter registration and uh, and things that are, are hot button issues. Which is not what this is about. You know the electric sec- electric. Grid sector has been designated a critical infrastructure for 10 years now, and the federal government hasn't taken it over yet. You right? um, know, the transportation sector, the chemical sector, the nuclear power. Right? What being a critical infrastructure means is, you know, uh, coordination. Uh, uh, within the sector so that everybody can share lessons learned through, I assume there'll soon be a, an electric, uh, an election ISAC, Information Sharing Advisory Council, access to best practices, the ability to, to invite the federal government to help you test the security of your systems if you want, um, you know, the access to lessons learned afterwards if there is a breach, all of which is good stuff and, you know, should be welcomed by any sensible secretary of state.
0: Yeah, well, it's uh no. let's let I I hope this this is the last gasp rather than the uh, the first shot in an ongoing political war over this. Uh it would be a shame if uh if we decided to do that instead of fixing our electoral machinery. Uh, here's my last Here's my last. Yes, guess. I mean. Yep. yes, Yeah.
1: Absolutely right.
0: Sorry. So so um, last one. The, the last one is the uh, Department of Homeland Security has announced that it's going to ask Chinese um, visitors to the United States to provide their social media uh, identifiers uh, 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 optionally and voluntarily, something they're already doing on ESTA for VWP—that uh, is to say, developed world uh, visitors—something uh, uh, they are doing more aggressively in the context of uh, refugees. Uh, it looks as though it, this is this is the kind of regulation I've seen from CBP before, and you have too—a kind of creeping up on the problem, a gradual boiling of the frog. But I think we can start. We can expect that. Within four years, um, social media handles will not be something that you supply voluntarily, but that's something you supply if you want to come to the United States.
1: I think that is right for foreign nationals. Um, I Well, first of all, I certainly think that as between asking the Chinese and asking Europeans, if we were thinking of which one is actually a little more interesting to us, it would be the Chinese,
3: right? Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh,
1: so, so. So, so that's good. If we're starting to think about um, reciprocal uh, problems for Americans going abroad, a lot fewer go to China than go to Europe. So, if we're worried about Americans being asked for their handles, I'm much less worried about retaliation by the Chinese as well. So, so it's a win-win uh, in terms of that. I certainly think that in the long run, uh, CBP is working its way towards mandatory disclosure of. Uh, of uh, Twitter handles and Facebook handles. Uh, I think, honestly, I'm not sure it's a terribly effective thing because uh, knowing that coming in, this one is an easy to avoid uh, as opposed to others, which are much harder to avoid. This is an easy to avoid uh, uh, problem. Uh, uh, the really interesting one is going to be when, when they start trying to apply it to, say, green card holders.
0: Yeah, and I'm right? not sure, and you know, citizens, that, 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 whether or not that that strikes me as the hopefully the kind of mistake that you make once and don't try again i mean I, I, going after green card holders yeah. is is um uh, constitutionally fraught and uh, uh you know if they're already here and and here permanently um <laughs> it's uh, implausible that, uh, uh, doing this kind of screening is going to produce problems. So you're more likely to solve, uh, problems of people who are here permanently and engaged in terrorism by doing, you know, FBI law enforcement investigations. So I, 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 I hope that they don't, um, move in that direction. They, they might be better off going, uh, to say, you know, um, we want consent or if Congress creates the authority, having the authority to go to the social media, uh, uh agencies and say, say, hey, here's his passport picture. Do you have a picture of somebody, uh, like this, uh, who, uh, is using a name they didn't tell us about? Uh, uh there's a variety of things that yeah. you could do. Um, and I think probably in the context of, um, uh, looking at refugees, much more effective than show me the phony papers that you bought from the guy uh, down the, the, the street from you uh, uh, so that I can ask you the same questions 12 times and see if you can remember your story, which is kind of what our vetting yes. is for refugees now.
1: Yeah, or, or, or the show me the Twitter account that you just created. <laughs> yes, exactly. Know, uh, six months ago. People with I Love America tweets, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, that has nothing to do with any reality. Yeah. I, uh, hey, I, Here's a question for you, Stuart, interesting one. Do you think that they can mandate the disclosure of uh, social media for American citizens returning abroad as part of a border
0: search. Um, well, let's see. That's an interesting question. So, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it anyway because it's you know you can't say you can't come in. don't no, I wouldn't you don't. recommend it. Now, this is a law question. So it, it, the, then the the yeah. argument would be that um, uh, well, I think the one question would be what do what why are you asking for this? Yeah. So, you know, you're not you're not exactly you're not you're not going to be able to say I want to decide whether to admit him because you are going to admit him. He's an American citizen. Um, So then the question is, why are you asking for this? Uh, And and you might say, well, because we think he might be engaged in some criminal behavior or some other socially undesirable behavior to which the – Appropriate response is, Well, then you should meet the requirements for criminal investigations, get a subpoena, get a warrant uh, and do it. And, you know, you might say, well, I'm, he's here on the border. I can I can do searches without uh, uh, going uh, uh, through that process. I think that would blow up the border search exemption. Uh, it, because the courts would say, wait a minute, you're not searching anything at the border. You're searching stuff that's back in Silicon Valley and, and getting data from Silicon Valley, which is not on the border. So I, I, I just I, I feel as though that's pushing the border search exemption to the point where uh, we wouldn't have it anymore. It would suddenly be full of uh, holes. Uh, so given how valuable it is to CBP, I wouldn't put that one at risk.
1: I, I agree. I agree. I wouldn't try it, and I think it would lose and then in the long run.
0: All right. Uh, Paul, anything else that you want to tell people? Anything? Any speeches you're giving, events you're going to be uh, uh, at, uh, papers you're releasing that everybody should be looking for?
1: Yeah, the, there's a good paper coming out uh, in a couple weeks, and maybe we'll come back on and talk about that I wrote over at Heritage about um, – uh, the, the way forward for Congress to authorize a limited amount of, uh, active cyber defenses for the private sector. Yeah, all and right. You, know, you would love Stuart. I do. Uh, we call, for, yeah, we're going to call for a, a licensor program, a, a certification program that, you know, kind of like, um, private, uh, private uh, detective sort of thing I'm,
0: right? looking, I'm looking forward to getting you back on to talk about that uh, um, and I, I've just discovered that John Carlin uh, is not a fan of this so maybe we can get him on at the same time and uh, talk about it uh, uh, together but uh, uh, Paul thank you so much for coming on I thank-
1: predict John will change his mind <laughs> great I predict John will change his mind now that he's in the private sector
0: yes alright well that would be good all right. Uh, thanks to Paul Rosenzweig, to Stephanie Roy, to Maury Shank, and to Jennifer Quinn Barabinoff. As always, the Steptoe Cyberlaw podcast is open to feedback, and we'd love it if you would send your questions or suggestions for interview candidates. And I I haven't acknowledged all of them, but we've got some great ones, and we are going to be coming back to them, and I am confident awarding at least one and maybe several of our uh coveted Steptoe Cyberlaw podcast uh, mugs complete with logo to people who suggest uh, interview subjects whom we get on the show. Uh, this has been Episode 152 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw podcast brought to you by Steptoe & Johnson. Don't forget uh, uh, to uh, uh, send us uh, additional feedback and especially Go on iTunes, give us five stars, please, please, we're begging, we're begging. It's it's how other people find us Uh, when we get good reviews, uh, uh, we get uh, featured. uh, uh, Well, probably not if Tim Tim Cook has anything to say about it, but at least their algorithm will be kind to us. Uh, uh, We hope you'll join us uh, in the future as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology,
2: security, privacy, and government.